Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Folks, good evening and welcome. Jason Martin. Under the weather, we wish him well. He typically occupies this spot from midnight to 3 Pacific, 3 to 6 Eastern. My name is Bernie Fratto. If you've been listening, you've been listening to Straight Out of Vegas. But we're going to take you through the next three hours and what's happening in the sports world alongside my trusty companion, Mackenzie Rivers, and we will revisit a lot of the stats and statistics to get you ready for NFL kickoff tomorrow, later in the show, and we will also talk about many other things that are on your sports mind. Mackenzie, not the least of which, that the college football season is winding down, and after watching Florida lose tonight as a 24-point favorite against LSU, it begs the question as to whether or not this disjointed schedule where some teams have played five games and some teams have played nine games or more has created fairness. And I was very bothered by what Dan Mullen said, the Florida coach tonight, when they got beat and in the press, you know, the postgame presser, mm-hmm. he basically comes out with a bit of a diatribe saying, well, I guess it favors teams who've played less games neatly ignoring the fact that if Florida had only played five games this year, they would have been 4-1 and one because they lost their third game to Texas A&M. And, oh, by the way, they've given up 30 points four times. But, McKenzie, it really begs an even larger question as to whether or not we can really ascertain this as a true playoff system. I, I've never believed since the format was created four years ago and I think the contract runs at least another three years, so I don't think there's going to be an expansion anytime soon. But here's the reality. Every playoff should be a championship-based format, meaning that you win your conference, you advance. Mm. The fundamental flaw here is they have four teams and you have five power conferences. And then you've got teams in the background every year, whether it be a Boise State or a BYU or a Coastal Carolina or a Cincinnati that's raise their hand and say, we want a chance. UCF undefeated two years in a row. Excellent point. So there have been outlier teams throughout. Here's the issue. If you're going to have a playoff, it's got to be a playoff. This is not a playoff. It's, it's really more of a what I would call a made-for-TV drama series. And they're going to select the teams that are going to bring the highest TV ratings. Let me just hit you between the eyes. Does it bother you if Ohio State is in there even though they've played less games? No. I think they pass the eye test. They pass the smell test. They have so many NFL players. They win every game against good competition by 30. Ohio State isn't, I think, the team that I want to see skipped over. And I do want to see one of these mega powerhouses skipped over if a team like Coastal Carolina goes undefeated. Mm -hmm. I always think you can only beat who's on your schedule. They played BYU. Power rankings have them as, you know, top five in the country. One, I'm always a fan of that underdog team, whether it be Cincinnati or Boise State back in the day. If you're undefeated, you should get a shot. You should get 
your swing at the plate. I would rather, so much rather see a Coastal Carolina get in there than a, say, a Georgia or a Florida. Yeah, aren't you even mildly curious? Because people always surmise that the game's going to be an automatic blowout. I will tell you. Till it's not. And, 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 well, I'll give you an example. Because, and we're going to get to Michigan and Jim Harbaugh and a lot of other things over the next three hours. But I want to take you back to a game, September 1st, 2007, a little school from Boone, North Carolina, Appalachian State. Strolled into Michigan as a 40-point underdog. Mm-hmm. I was at that game. My brother was going to school there at the time. App, he was going to Appalachian State? <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not laughing at any Appalachian alumnus out there. I'm sure well, it's a let great me tell you. Institution. It kicked off. I was at the game, September yeah. 1st, 2007. The big house. The big house. 110,000 that day. And from the get-go, Appalachian State, their team speed, their physicality at the line of scrimmage, their ability to match up with Michigan, make plays. They were not only not intimidated, they were athletically, at least for that day, they were Michigan's equal. And they were leading the whole game, and then Michigan started to come back, and then there was the blocked field goal at the end, and Appalachian State sealed the victory. Well, what's the moral of the story? At halftime, when it appeared that this is a game that Appalachian State could really win, and this was a good Michigan team, all right? They were, they were preseason top ten. It, was Lloyd, it would turn out to be Lloyd Carr's last season at Michigan, and they ended up beating Florida in their, in their bowl game in, Florida, in uh, Lloyd Carr's final game. Here's the situation, though. I actually went over to the Appalachian State side of the field and said, what's going on here? Who are you guys? And they said, well... We get a lot of Florida State athletes that can't get into school or don't want to go to school there or whatever the reason. And they had a quarterback named Armani Edwards who went to play for the Baltimore Ravens. They had two lockdown corners. They, they had athletes all over the field. Who would have ever known that Appalachian State, and they've now become a punchline, just as anybody at Michigan State, mm-hmm. 13 years later, everybody remembers who they are. How about Chaminade? We're coming up December 23rd when they beat Virginia. Many, many years ago, there have been all kinds of upsets. Wait, was that football or basketball? Basketball. I'm sorry, I should have said that. That that was the Ralph Sampson team. They lost over in Hawaii. Shamanon, what a name. Yeah, the the bottom line is, without a playoff and without the ability to crown a a true champion, although maybe that's not fair, probably no one's going to beat Alabama. But you can't automatically assume that, right? So you've got this made-for-TV drama series with the usual suspects, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and now Ohio State, and they deserve to be there. They've got a body of work. They're, frankly, Ohio State most likely— If is, Notre Dame loses by 21, do we really want to see them no. march back six weeks later and face the same quality competition? Well, if, if they well, even if they lose at all, but see— Exactly. They li- lose, and, and Coastal Carolina and Cincinnati don't. I, I hate to see that one-loss team make it over a zero-loss team. Well, that makes my point for me in the sense— that if Notre Dame loses that game, they can, and that's in, that ends up being their final game of the season. There's no other bowl games, and there's a lot of bowl games being canceled as we speak. But if you're Brian Kelly and you're Ian Book and you're the Notre Dame roster, you're saying, wait a minute, we beat every team on our schedule, including Clemson. Yes, they got us in the rematch. Mm-hmm. That makes, yeah, that's but, a good kind of argument. And so you would say, all right, maybe your top four is Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. And I don't know who the fourth one is, but now you've got that at large where you've got the five, six, seven, eight teams. Yeah, let's see how let's see how it plays out. But I, I, I would I would preserve that fourth spot for an undefeated team. And talking about underdogs, you're a historian. I, I wanted to you, you know Jackie Mitchell, the pitcher. She's she's the only pitcher to ever face 
Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. One exhibition in yes, I've, I've, yes, I've heard the story. Yes, struck him out, struck out Babe Ruth, struck out Lou Gehrig, struck out some other guy. Never faced another man, you know, professional baseball player in her life. But when she got her shot, maybe they were, you know, were hungover. They didn't take her seriously, but she struck him out. All you can do is beat who's your. No way you're ever going to win a national championship if you're Cincinnati unless you get the chance. Well, and it needs to be decided on the field. And the arbitrary and somewhat capricious nature in, in which they select these four teams. Because what happens someday, McKenzie, and I know it's hypothetical, and you know the world's a vexing enough place without trying to live with hypotheticals. What happens if all five power conference teams have, are undefeated? And under this current format, somebody's got to be left home. Yeah. Okay, USC is 5-0. and oh. They look pretty good to me. Now, I don't they would be a two touchdown, probably 15, 16 point underdog to Ohio State. True. Texas A&M has the one loss. They'd be probably a 9-10 point underdog to Ohio State. But on the field of play with all the marbles, and it's what I call quantum physics. Sometimes teams can really play well until it matters, until you get under the white hot spotlight. Yeah. And then you ask yourself, who do you trust? When the, when it's hard to breathe and and it's and it's you know it's hot out there, yeah. meaning you know literally it's literally hot and figuratively hot because of the self-imposed pressure. Do you trust a Nick Saban? Do you trust a Dabo Swinney? Do you trust an Urban Meyer? Do you trust a Ryan Day? Can you trust a Luke Fickle? Well, Luke Fickle might not get the chance. I'm guessing Luke Fickle's the Coastal Carolina coach. No, he, he's Cincinnati. Okay. I should, I should. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie Chadwell's the uh, Coastal Carolina coach, and he's a riot. Yeah, I actually saw. I heard him on FSR. He is a riot. So the bottom line is, all of a sudden, you put these two teams on the field, and you really don't know what you're going to get. Case in point, Appalachian State. Michigan was so shook by that. The following week, Oregon came in there and destroyed them as well. Speaking of Urban Meyer, uh, he was undefeated in Utah, 14-0. Wouldn't we have liked to see that team get a chance against the big boys. That was before the playoffs, so it was harder to orchestrate. Look, I like the four teams. I think the regular season should matter, and if it's eight teams, it's hard to say that every Alabama game matters because if they lose, they're still one of the best eight by far. So I like the four teams, but you're right. If there's There could be five, six undefeated teams easily. I'm surprised it hasn't happened already, and with a shortened schedule, we're seeing how much more likely it is. Well, one of the problems I have with only having four teams is again the mathematics involved with five power conferences and four teams getting in somebody's getting left out that makes it to me a tv drama series not an actual playoff and there have been years i'm telling you i saw that boise state team in 2011 they got upset by colin kaepernick in nevada but it was their, their poor kicker missed like three extra points or three field goals or something that was an incredible quality team it's my understanding that back then, when Chris Peterson was coaching Boise State, they offered to play Bama. They said, we'll come there twice if you just come to the blue field once. And Bama didn't want to do it. So they had a hard time scheduling games. So it's a stacked deck. It's almost a rigged deck. So tonight, Florida losing, you hear Dan Mullen's disappointment because he's like, what do we have to do? We feel like we have to do more. Now, what's interesting, I don't think there's going to be a two-loss team in any playoff scenario, but be that as it may, yeah. you have a situation where – Coaches feel so hamstrung that you can't even make a mistake, which does make the regular season that much more important because every game does count. But that doesn't mean we're still crowning an authentic national championship uh, champion. And that's not to say Bama isn't far and away the best team. But I remember when Ohio State got in in 2014, they weren't going to be let in. They were down to their second-string quarterback, and they had to beat Wisconsin 59 to nothing in the Big Ten championship game. Then they got their invite. 
Then they destroyed Alabama, and then they completely destroyed Oregon in January of 2015. Yep. That was an incredible team that almost didn't get – I'm talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide 2015-2014 season. That was an incredible team that almost didn't get an invite. I remember that game well. It was talking about being hot under the collar. Marcus Mariota and the Oregon Ducks looked unbeatable throughout the year until the very first quarter with the Ohio State Buckeyes. That was actually interesting. It was a seven-point line, but the money line for the underdog for Ohio State kept creeping down. It was it, it was very interesting and I think telling that they only went off as like plus 150. If you're a seven-point dog, you should be like plus 220. So it was interesting. The market was saying they had a much better chance to win than, than people had predicted going into the game. Very much so. He's Mackenzie Rivers. I'm Bernie Frado. We're in for Jason Martin tonight, and we'll be with you through till 3 o'clock in the morning. Lots of subjects to get to. We'll get the crew involved as well. Maybe we even consider taking some calls. There's a lot going on in the sports world. We're not going to talk about this tonight too much, but can you believe it, Mackenzie? The NBA is ready to tip off again in 12 days. Are you ready for that? I'm working on my power ratings. I brought them up. You're kidding. Them off. Yep, you got to. You got to. Well, I got to ask you, uh, how do you make power ratings with no fans? And by the way, you might have fans in Dallas, but you might not have them in L.A. Well, that's true. That's, I mean, but power ratings are based on how good teams are. I, I can worry about the home field adjustment, home court adjustment. I got to get in basketball mode at a different time. But I'm just I'm just trying to figure out who's good right now. And pretty soon we'll have the NHL in early uh, January. And we're not going to talk a lot about that tonight, obviously. But still got to we'll sort. We'll schedule release day for the NHL. To, you know, <laughs> yeah. To yeah, I'm sure you're waiting with bated breath on that one. He's Mackenzie Rivers. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're in for Jason Martin. We'll take you through to 3 a.m., Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. Lots more to get to. So hang right here. Keep it locked on Fox Sports Radio. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Harold G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Extina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back on the Jason Martin Show. I'm Bernie Fratto sitting in for Jason Martin. And Mackenzie Rivers joins me. It is now officially, as you know, December 13th all over the United States, whether you're listening in the Eastern Time Zone or the Pacific what Time Zone. And we're just about nine and a half hours away from another kickoff. Hey, Hawaii's real. Hawaii's a real deal. You got to respect them. They're on the 12th. You know, I got a few holes in my game, Mackenzie. <laughs> you know, how about Guam? I think Guam, it's like Thursday. All right, why don't you go ahead and work on that world map right now so I can reset <laughs> this uh, in the fourth hour. Um, folks, we're going to open up the phone lines tonight as well. 866-99 on Fox. It's, check that. 877-99 on Fox. 877-996-6369. Whatever is on your sports mind. Feel free to chime in tonight. We're going to make it an open forum as we head into Christmas. Maybe you can tell us what you'd like under your Christmas tree for the 2021 sports year. 
or not, whatever you'd like to talk about. One of the things, McKenzie, we can't talk about is the fact that Michigan and Ohio State did not play today. First time since 1917 that that game has not been played. For what it's worth, they played the game the following year. It was the first year those two teams were both in the Big Ten. Those two teams have played 109 times in history. Michigan has actually won 58 and lost 51. And you know what bothers me? This narrative that Jim Harbaugh took over a program and the expectations were too high because he was hired to beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten, and get to the Final Four. He hasn't come close to doing any of those. He's 0-5 against Ohio State. And i got to tell you, in the last 20 years, I know that Michigan has struggled against Ohio State. But what if I told you that the 28 years before that, from 1972 to the year 2000, Michigan was actually 17-11 and 11 in that series? That's Bull Schembechler in the 10-year famous Bull Woody War. Then Lloyd Carr took over and did extremely well. So I don't know why Michigan would want to lower their standards. No Michigan-Ohio State game today. Does that interest you? Because you're not from that area. But I've always contended that it has a national scope, a national presence, a national dynamic, and it's a talked-about game. Now, I maybe have to recuse myself because I spent much of my life in Michigan. My mother went to the University of Michigan, and I covered at least eight or ten of those games while I was living in Michigan, and there's nothing quite like it. But the fact that there was no Michigan-Ohio State game today, did that affect you in any way? Yeah. You know, it's one of the college games that I look forward to every year. When I was a kid, I was a big Broncos fan, and they were a rival with the Raiders, and I thought the Broncos-Raiders rivalry was like... Oh, it's a t- no, for real. Yeah. It really, it really isn't like... Yankees, Celtics. I mean, Yankees, Red Sox, though. And as a kid, I thought it was because I was close to the Broncos and rooting for them. But I think whoever you root for, there's some rivalries like Barcelona, Real Madrid, or the Yankees and the Red Sox that permeate across the country, like you said. And yeah, I think, well, at least Michigan didn't lose to Ohio State today. Isn't that the first time in like 10 years? So, I mean, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. But yeah, it sucks that we didn't get the game. Well, look, first of all, one of the reasons that Michigan-Ohio State is such a draw is because there are more Big Ten alums around the country than any other conference, and there's a ton of Ohio State alums, Michigan alums, everywhere from coast to coast. And when the Big Ten Network was born and they expanded, you might people might say, well, why is Rutgers in the Big Ten? Because that gave the Big Ten Network a New York market, and there are a ton of Big Ten alums living in that New York market. Why did the Big Ten allow Maryland in? Well, that gave them a Washington, D.C. market. So the bottom line is they've expanded their footprint to a great degree because there are Big Ten alums living everywhere. And the fact that they couldn't play this game today, from the entertainment standpoint and from the rivalry standpoint, to me is a little bothersome. And I'm not going to be a cynic, and I'm not going to accuse Michigan of ducking anybody, but I will say this, McKenzie. I really wonder what would have happened had Michigan been 5-1. and one. And I have too many Michigan insiders to tell me the numbers you heard, 45 people couldn't play. I'm not so sure that's not an inflated number. And I'm not going to drill down on that or get too granular on that tonight. I don't want people firing shots at me. But the truth of the matter is, when Michigan announced Tuesday that they couldn't play that game, I thought it was a bit premature. And uh, we're going to dive into that a little bit more, and we're also going to dive into what's happening with Harbaugh and his current negotiation, I say in air quotes, with A.D. Ward Manuel. But let's go out to the phones, and uh, let's welcome in MGM John here in Las Vegas. John, you want to talk a little bit about NFL Week 14? 
Yes, I will. I would like to talk about the odds of and this week's NFL, especially with the New York Jets and Seattle. The Seattle is 15 point favorite with uh, over under 48. Uh, it would it's a huge number, but I would likely take New York Jets to cover because it's such a huge number, especially going under 48. I don't believe Seattle is going to score that many against the Jets, even with Greg Williams fired. Well, here's the situation. Uh, Seattle is really finding their way these last few weeks. Defensively, they've improved immensely. They're giving up 10 points less per game, 140 yards less per game. And I think a lot of Sharps that I know were very interested in that game when the Jets were only getting 13, 13 and a half. It's crossed over the magic number 14, 14 and a half. So the game is not as appealing, but it feels like it's a Seattle blowout to me, John, because I think the Jets are going to be down. It's got to be a letdown. They fire Greg Williams. they got to come fly across country. They had that game won last week against the Raiders, and I don't care about tanking or what people say. Those guys don't want to go 0-16. Trust me, I covered an 0-16 team in Detroit back in 2008 with Rod Marinelli. It's an absolute nightmare, John. I agree with you, Bernie. I think... Uh, no team wants to go 0-16. In fact, it's one of those trends that's almost too simple and obvious to ignore. If you just bet on winless teams late in the season, hey, against the spread, you're like that's 65%. a great point that I've been talking about the last I three think or four. Cover. You know what? I'm not going to get on. A t- I'm I'm nervous about that game. They're just better games on the board. But you brought up a great point that I've been talking about with Arnie and Aaron, and we've talked about it here on Straight Out of Vegas the last few weeks. Once you cross week ten and you you are winless. Uh, you're like 78% against the number. The Jets are 3-1 and one in the last four. Yep. They're getting a nice fat number tomorrow. You just don't know what you're going to get. And there's other games on the board that I like that we'll get to a little later in the show. But as far as the Seattle Jets game, if you blindly take the number, yes. But can you really trust the Jets tomorrow in what seems to me that might be a bit of a letdown? I think if you're going golfing or going to the movies, you feel right to bet the game. If you're going to watch football tomorrow, you probably don't want to be in front of a TV screen rooting for the Jets. It's just not good for your health. (laughs) Well, maybe rooting for the Jets. You know, rooting for the Jets to win is one thing. Uh, not rooting for the Jets, or, or just if you, you just want them to cover the spread, that's another thing entirely. And so that that's something that you know, what's the old saying? Good teams win, great teams cover. Right. The Jets aren't a great team, but if they cash you a ticket tomorrow, guess what? You're going to be out there, you know, buying a Richard Todd jersey. Well, maybe not a Richard Todd jersey. I want to talk about this though because. You know, this tanking, you know, it wasn't that long ago, suck for luck, and now you've got tanking for Trevor. When does it ever work? And by the way, my opening commentary next week on Straight Out of Vegas is going to take another walk down memory lane and have, have sort of an expose on why tanking never seems to work, philosophically why teams talk about tanking, and why in the NFL they think it potentially can work, but ultimately why it never really does. And you can't point to a lot of examples. And I'll share with you, now look, in 1976, when John McKay was became head coach of the expansion uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they went 0-14. And they were the first team in sort of the modern era, as it were, to go winless. And they became a punchline. And there was one famous story of John McKay walking off the field when a, when a reporter said, Coach, what did you think of your – how do you feel about your team's execution? He says, I'm for it. <laughs> then – the unthinkable happened 31 years later when the Detroit Lions, a team I covered in 2008, coached by Rod Marinelli, lost all 16 games. It really wasn't fun. 
And I know there were national radio people rooting for him to you know, lose every game and such, but it wasn't fun, and it happened to Cleveland three years ago. So I hope it doesn't happen to the Jets. It's just not a look. I don't think Adam Gase will be back. I think they have all kinds of other problems. As a matter of fact, there may be a linkage to Jim Harbaugh, which we're going to get to in a minute. It's funny how the circle of life manages to coexist there, McKenzie. I'm talking about Michigan football, no Ohio State-Michigan game, the New York Jets, Woody Johnson, and Jim Harbaugh. And you know what? I'm going to tie that all together and put it in a bowl on the other side. But first... Well, let's go to the man, Brian Finley, the silver tongue devil. You know him. Here he goes. Hey, thanks, Bernie. Thanks, McKenzie. Undisciplined play crippling number six Florida against under 500 LSU. Here's the approach and the kick on its way, and it is good! Cade York with a school record 57-yard field goal. And the Tigers lead 37-34 with 23 seconds remaining in this contest. LSU Tigers Radio Network on the call as York, yes, drilled a 57-yarder into dense fog. And right afterwards, he did the Gator Chomp in celebration as the Tigers would go on to prevail 37-34. And that LSU game-winning drive came about in large part thanks to Florida's Marco Wilson, who earlier heaved a Tigers shoe downfield, eliciting an unsportsmanlike conduct flag. Meanwhile, 15th-ranked USC erases an 18-point deficit, outscores UCLA 20-3 in the fourth quarter, and the Trojans dupe the Bruins 43-38. Trojans QB Keaton Slovis lofting one up into the end zone for Amon Ross St. Brown for the go-ahead score the game sealer. That touchdown with 16 ticks left, Slovis five touchdowns in this game and there was a stat that came up while this game was taking place Slovis has had 13 touchdown passes in the fourth quarter this season zero interceptions he also has three fourth quarter comebacks this season and the Trojans improved to 5-0 and Meanwhile, Bruin QB Dorian Thompson-Robinson, 30 of 36 through the air, four TD passes, 364 yards. The Trojans will draw Washington in the Big 12 championship on Friday at the Rose Bowl. But the conference has an emergency contingency plan here. So if USC for some reason has COVID-19 issues, Colorado would then replace them in the title game. And if the same sort of issue encompasses UW, which they are actually having right now, they were not able to play this weekend, the Huskies, because of COVID-19, Oregon would sub in from the Pac-12 North as far as that representation. Number 18, San Diego State, able to get by, or excuse me, fall to BYU 28-14. So the Cougars win. Their star quarterback, Zach Wilson, three touchdown passes. And a late score in Pac-12 play as well. Stanford sloshes past Oregon State 27-24. Cardinal QB Davis Mills, three touchdowns, no scores. Now we go back to the guys filling in for Jason Martin. It is the two-man tandem. The stars, it's Bernie Fratto, Mackenzie Rivers. Brian, I tried to follow that <laughs> USC scenario. I think yeah. you need a phalanx of attorneys and Dallas Cowboy <laughs> cheerleaders. UCLA had that game in the bag. You know they did. Yes. And I let it get away. Colorado got curb stomped by Utah. <laughs> Explain to me why they – see, I'm doing my little Brian. I'm channeling <laughs> I love my inner, my inner Brian Finley there. Nice. See, they got the Finley fanatics. I'm working on the Fratto fanatics. See? <laughs> yeah. 
Just don't sue me for copyright. <laughs> in all seriousness, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, no, but why yeah. does Colorado edge in there if USC can't, you know, if they're all sick? Well, I think it's coming down to money here. And what I've read, and there was a report that was put out tonight or Saturday night by USA Today that if you're not going to have a USC and a Washington, which by the math, they are supposed to play each other, the conference wants to play this game regardless. So even if it's a a pseudo-conference champion and you have somebody coming in like a Colorado because of a COVID-19 issue that would pop up this coming week. There's so much money at stake, guys, for the conference, and Fox Sports TV has the call. So they want to get this game in. And then what they're also doing, as you guys know, all the other schools within the Pac-12, just because they're having at – on Friday, that Pac-12 championship game, all the other schools are going to have other games. So they're going to have seven games in total, obviously, in the regular season. But – not until, I believe, later today are we going to see, like, those who did not make the Pac-12 championship game, who they are going to play because they still have at least one more contest before the postseason. Interesting how they have all these contingency plans just because of COVID. Boy, yeah. I'll tell you, when they write the history books, Brian, oh. this year is going to be one for the ages. We are seeing history. All right, McKenzie, I want to go back to the Jim Harbaugh thing, and I'll tie into my little tease there with the New York Jets. Just so everybody knows, the Jets are owned by a very flamboyant owner named Woody Johnson. And, I, you know, he people run hot and cold with him. But he's courted Jim Harbaugh before. In 2009, when Woody Johnson hired Rex Ryan, Jim Harbaugh actually was the second runner-up in the interviewing process. He didn't get the job. Uh, at that time, he was still uh, at Stanford. They ended up getting going to the uh, 49ers. Uh, and then in 2014, December... When Harbaugh had worn out his welcome with the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, are we still there? Okay. Long and the short of it is, uh, McKenzie, when Harbaugh wore out his welcome with the San Francisco 49ers in December 2014, uh, Woody Johnson came calling again, and he thought he might have him, but he didn't. Alas, Harbaugh joined the Michigan Wolverines and gave him 52 million good reasons to take that deal with all kinds of other incentives. Frankly, my moles had told me I thought he was going to be hired by the Miami Dolphins, uh, Jim Harbaugh. The Dolphins are owned by Stephen Ross, who's a Michigan benefactor to the tune of about $100 million a year. And my, I was told that you know, the Michigan faithful said, don't you dare touch him. He's ours. And I knew that that was going to happen because – when Joe Philbin, the, the coach of the Dolphins at the time, wasn't fired when it was rumored he was going to be, you knew that Harbaugh was on his way to Michigan. But I digress. So Woody Johnson of the New York Jets has had an affinity for Jim Harbaugh, and I think where there's smoke, there's fire. I think there's a, po- a possibility, maybe not a probability, that Harbaugh is going to get serious attention from the Jets and also the Chicago Bears, where he's a favorite son in Chicago. He was a number one draft choice, I believe, in 1986. And uh, him and Mike Ditka are, are, you know, get along famously well in McCaskey, the McCaskey family. Uh, love Jim Harbaugh as the second son. But before we even jump to that point, right now, what came out in the news this week was the fact that Harbaugh, and I say this in air quotes, had negotiated or was negotiating an extension with their athletic director at Michigan, Ward Manuel. Well, they had a press conference Tuesday, and the press conference was very vague, but fortunately I have good moles, 
And it's my understanding that Harbaugh was offered a, an extension. The problem is it's very Michigan-friendly. It's very incentive-laden. It's a reduction in pay. Mm. And there are issues. What I find problematic, Michigan has a very well-publicized ninth-ranked recruiting class coming in including a stud receiver named Xavier Worthy. Well, the early signing period is December 16th. That's next Wednesday. And at the press conference, Ward Manuel had the audacity to say he'll be talking to Jim Harbaugh after the end of the season, to which a reporter said, well, when's the end of the season? He said December 19th. Well, <laughs> that's the uh, final week of the Big Ten. There will be crossover games, and there will also be the conference championship game with Northwestern and Ohio State. So you're going to leave these recruits in the lurch. None of this makes sense to me. And I think they are going to start to lose recruits. And this is going to become even more problematic. So I do know this. Jim Harbaugh seems to hold the cards. If he wants to be back in Michigan next year, he will be. They're not going to fire him. That was never in the mix. He has one year in his contract. He doesn't necessarily want to be a lame duck. That's almost impossible to coach under those circumstances and even more impossible to recruit. So I believe he's weighing his options and depending the tea leaves. The reason you can't read the tea leaves on this situation is because you don't know what he may or may not be offered by the NFL. Sounds like a game of chicken. It sounds like Harbaugh would rather keep his prestigious status as a $7 million a year man, whether that be in the NFL or back at Michigan. It doesn't sound like Michigan really wants to pay up for that, considering that the results haven't been there. My guess, honestly, is that he goes back to Michigan. I don't think there's only 32 NFL jobs, Bernie. They're incredibly prized, and usually you want to catch a rising star. You don't want to retread. I don't think John Harbaugh is back in the NFL next year. That's just Jim. my uh, – yeah, John Harbaugh is actually pretty good in the NFL. He's, He's going to remain. I'm, that's my prediction. I don't have any moles in Baltimore at the time. But, yeah, Jim Harbaugh, I don't think – uh, don't, he don't, I don't think it goes to the NFL next year. We're going to chop this up some more. We are not done with this subject. i got some other things I want to add about NFL openings where Jim Harbaugh may or may not fit in and why I think it's slightly better than 50% that Harbaugh will not be back at Michigan next year. Ooh, he's, sounds like we have a green button bet, maybe, he's, perhaps. Eh, not so much. You wouldn't know better he, You don't want to <laughs> get in the ring with me on this one. <laughs> All right. He's Mackenzie Rivers. I'm Bernie Fratto. We are sitting in for Jason Martin tonight. We'll take you through the next couple hours, and we want you to join us. Our phone number, 877-99 on Fox, 877-996-6369. We want to hear what's on your sports mind tonight, and we're going to get the crew involved a little bit later as well. And we're, we're going to have some NFL picks for you again. Why not? You might have missed them last time. Let's reemphasize. Howard Cosell once said, emphasis for the sake of emphasis is emphasized. <laughs> It wasn't quite like that, but something like that. All right, we'll be right back. Keep it right here, Fox Sports Radio. Juan Gabriel. Juan Gis. Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Harold G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Extina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. 
Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph! Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Thurow Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Fox Sports Radio, the Jason Martin Show. Bernie Fratto sitting in for Jason Martin. And I'm alongside my trustee, Mackenzie Rivers, Mackinac Sports. And you know what's interesting is as we come down to the end of the NFL season, we've been talking a little bit about Jim Harbaugh tonight and the situation at Michigan. There was no Ohio State-Michigan game today. The, the more that 2020 goes on, the more surreal history there is. But one thing that's sort of a rite of passage, Mackenzie, is that every year about this time, you can start to not only speculate which teams will have NFL openings, but which coaches might fill those openings. And so we look at the Jets. Now Adam Gase is still there. But I think it's a fair bet to say that he might not be there next year. I think Matt Nagy, my moles are telling me, Matt Nagy in Chicago is in trouble. Anthony Lynn, who everybody respects, but they just can't seem to win. The Chargers might be looking for another coach. The Falcons have already moved on from Dan Quinn. Raheem Morris has done an excellent job. But it's not often that guys you know, that, that are interim coaches, same with Daryl Bevel in Detroit. And then, of course, the, the Jaguars, as you mentioned, they will probably have an opening as well. Now, of those teams, I think Jim Harbaugh is the most likely, in terms of where he might end up, mm-hmm. would be either the Jets or the Bears. But I agree. But, but, but you, you have other teams there, and we didn't even mention Houston. Houston's already let their coach, so you already, if you go there, you inherit uh, Deshaun Watson. If you go to the Jets, you're yeah, going to probably get Trevor Lawrence, three of the first 31 picks, and a lot of cap space. I'll tell you, and if you want to be the guy that did what Joe Namath did, man, that looks pretty appealing to me. You know, but Jim Harbaugh, again, he, you, you think he might be back next year at Michigan. I'm not so sure because I think there are a lot of factions that don't want him back, and it would be a default position for him. And I think it's going to blow to the ego in terms of these extension you know, conversations that are happening. In the words of Lily Tomlin, who once said, I always wanted to be somebody, I just wish I'd been more specific. <laughs> when I, my next life, I want to be Jim Harbaugh because you can preside over a dumpster fire, go winless at home, get smoked by Wisconsin 49 to 11, never beat Ohio State, 2 and 13 against top 10 teams, and still be offered an extension. But be that as it may, there are coaches, McKenzie, that you'll have opinions on that. I think you are going to see perhaps emerge some good old names from the past, like Bill Cowher. Super Bowl champion. He hasn't been in the game in a while, but he's not an old guy. He's 60-ish, but what does that matter, right? I mean, he's got a few more years in him, and the beauty of Bill Cowher, he's won a Super Bowl. Those don't grow on trees. He knows what success looks like. What are your thoughts on Cowher? It would make sense to me that Cowher could come in and be a CEO-type coach he doesn't necessarily have to have the uh, most innovative system to hire a good offensive coordinator and a good defensive coordinator uh, to compete in the modern times. I could see. I could see. Uh, he he's always talked about the New York Giants as um, as a job that he would take. You know, even after his retirement from the well, well, that that's one job is not going to be open. No, Joe Judge has done a great job, yeah. and, and that'll. But but maybe New York Jets. Maybe he can convince himself it's almost half the brand. It's not, but you know he can convince himself of that. Sorry, Jets fans. Uh, you know it's true. Another coach that I think deserves respect, and I will tell you, now the Detroit Lions still are yet to, they they need to hire a GM and team president as well. But I would tap that person on the shoulder and say, at least talk to Marvin Lewis. He got got the Bengals to the playoffs five or six years. 
He was a defensive coordinator in Baltimore when they ran roughshod over everybody. He knows what success looks like. And my biggest beef when the Lions <clears throat> hired Matt Patricia, well, what? look, just to be fair, Sheila Fordham, the Ford family, when she took over the reins four years ago and hired Bob Quinn, the wonderkin at the time from the New England Patriots, she gave him the autonomy and she was advised by Ernie Accorsi, longtime NFL executive, to hire the coach he wanted. Well, they hired Matt Patricia. I didn't like to hire from the minute one because I'm telling you, all the years I covered the Lions, if you hire a coach that's learning on the job and getting their first job, I never saw it come close to working out. My years of covering the Lions, we had Wayne Fonts for years, and you had Gary Moeller, you had Dick Jerome as an interim. Then Matt Millen came in, hired Marty Morningweg. He came, he was highly recommended by Bill Walsh. Failed. Steve Mariucci became available. Him and Millen had a beef because Mooch did not want to start Joey Harrington at quarterback. He wanted to start uh, uh, Jeff Garcia. Matt Millen won that battle. Mooch was gone. Then they bring in Rod Marinelli, and he was 0-16. So you've got to have an experienced coach in Detroit. Marvin Lewis might be a good fit there. Hey, I didn't think about that. Marvin Lewis would be an excellent choice. I mean, yes, he never won a playoff game, 0-4, for 0-5. For but Andy Dalton was his coach every single – I mean, was his quarterback every single time, except for one year when he wasn't, and the injured version of Andy Dalton or the replacement was even worse than that. So you can't really fault him for that. The Bengals haven't had a better 10-, 15-year run of success any other time in their history than with Marvin Lewis. That has – if you stack him up with his you know, peers in that, in that uh, regard, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. And as they say, which five out of six playoff year coach are you laughing at now – Right. His track record wasn't that bad. Another game, and I know this is going to get a giggle out of you, but if you unpack it and look at it objectively, I'm betting that Jason Garrett is going to get some attention. He won three divisions with the Cowboys. He actually, I know he, he's the clapper and he became a punchline, <laughs> yep. but Mike McCarthy took over a group. You know, it turns out it's not so easy to coach in Dallas, is it? No, I remember we ran the numbers and Mike McCarthy was actually like, I think the first or the second against the spread in his whole, uh, you know, eight-year career, probably third. But I'm like, Andy, Aaron Rodgers was his quarterback the whole time. So how do we know that he has anything special to deliver? And he really hasn't with the Cowboys. What Jason Garrett has to his credit is he won the division with Tony Romo. He won the division with Dak Prescott. So he, there was something. He, his steady hand led the ship to a division title twice. I, I, I don't see it, though. I don't see it, though. I wouldn't Him getting a job in the NFL? I know, I know it's just, you know, he's the clapper and everyone makes fun of him, but it's just that stigma. Uh, I think Jerry Jones was the last person to, uh, to see J Jason Garrett for what he is. There are going to be seven openings in the NFL, and I don't know who's going I think it's, it's close to as official as you can get. Okay. And Jason Garrett does bring one other thing to the mix, and that is he was a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's Mackenzie Rivers. I'm Bernie Fratter. We're sitting in for Jason Martin. Stick with us. Fox Sports Radio. Juan Gabriel. Juan Gis. Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Carol G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Extina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. 
Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Fox Sports Radio, the Jason Martin Show, Hour 2. I'm Bernie Fratto, sitting in for Jason Martin tonight, along with Mackenzie Rivers. You hear Mackenzie with me every Saturday night on Straight Out of Vegas as we do the ever-popular Mackin on Sports segment. You know, Mackenzie, uh, turns out that Santa Claus comes in about 11 more days, and it's that time of year where it's not too soon to start thinking about what you want for Christmas for your 2021 sports year. What would you want under the tree that you could open up and enjoy for the 2021 sports year? Now, I want to be specific about this on sports. We all know what I want for Christmas. I want the same thing every year. I want the official Red Rider Carbine Action 200-shot range, range model air rifle. But they say I can't have it because they'll put someone's eye out. That's what they say. Let's bring in the crew, because these guys work hard behind the scenes, and they're thinkers, and they've all been good, so we know Santa Claus is going to pay close attention to what they want. Chris, you're a big-time sports fan. We both hail from Detroit. Tell me what you would like to see under your Christmas tree for the sports year 2021. Mm, this is one's a difficult one. I try not to go full Detroit. I there There is a story out there. And I would like to see a native to Detroit help to steer a woebegone team in the Detroit Lions back, probably, hopefully, to at least get back on the track to being, let's just say, competent. And that would be Dearborn native Robert Saleh. Fortune High School. Salah, yeah, from Dearborn, Michigan. Uh, currently the defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. He's, this is going to be a big year for a lot of coaches, Bernie, and a lot of people are looking at a lot of guys out there Brian Dable with the Buffalo Bills is another name. This is going to be a really big year for coaches. You guys have been hitting on it here, and I think Salah's name is going to be at the top. What's been done in San Francisco is pretty impressive. From what I've heard, he's kind of the scheme the scheme guy. He's the guy who kind of puts everything together and makes it work while Shanahan cooks up things in the lab. But for me also, the big thing for me is, and this is maybe a little higher for me, is that as someone who has worked in media, who has you know studied journalism, I would like to see, hopefully, the NBA players and their media kind of see eye to eye a little bit more going into this year. We've had this issue with Kyrie Irving that's come up, and he's calling the media pawns and says, you know, should sit there and just, you know, watch art, uh, uh, stop distracting me and my team and appreciate the art. Well, I'll tell you this, Bernie, I I come from a family of artists. My mother went to uh, St. Mary's in South Bend. She studied photography. She is a carpenter. She works on, you know, refinishing antiques. We all grew up with some sort of art skill in my family. Among a family of artists, I will tell you the most important thing is the critique. We are very, uh, if for someone coming from the outside, you might think we're just vicious on each other, but no, that's, that's how good art is made. You have to cr- criticize one another. You have to point out the flaws. You have to find the, the flaws because that's the only way you'll become aware of those flaws and make yourself better. And I feel like, you know, we've lost a lot of that personal connection. You would know this too. And I know my Rob Parker, who's a mentor to me, talks about this too, about the personal relationship between the beat writer 
and the player that if there was a problem, you'd go into the locker room and talk to the guy and figure out you know what the problem is and work it out. And I think what's happened in the NBA, we've lost sight of that in many ways. We've lost sight of the critique, and we've lost sight of the personal relationship. And I would hope, for all our sakes, to lose a little bit of the drama, which is getting very weary a little bit in the NBA. And I think for some fans, is turning them off that in 2021, our gift can be everyone acting like adults and uh, and and learning that this this business this art deserves some you know a, a working relationship here and, and you know Chris someone who worked myself I worked alongside Rob many years in Detroit and and to your point the relationship the media has with athletes is important because the media is what drives popularity and what actually to a great degree, helps to promote the world of sports. By the way, McKenzie's got a note here on Robert Saleh. They're actually offshore odds on who might be the Lions head coach. And there's been movement on those odds. He went from plus 600 to plus 150. He's a clear favorite to be the next Lions head coach, according to these odds. Yeah, now, the, one, the, the, the one the one, uh, caveat there, Chris, is remember, the Lions still have to hire a GM. They have to hire a, a team president. And it's likely they're going to bring in their own guy. Any anything else you want under your sports Christmas tree for 2021 before we get to Eric Roberts? Just another small one is that I hope they pull off the 2020 now 2021 Summer Olympics. I know it's not. Oh yeah, a lot that's of, a good one. A lot of the appeal for the Olympics has kind of shined off a lot of people. You know, we work <laughs> in the big three sports here: baseball, basketball, football. Sometimes you know the college versions of those. We don't talk a lot of Olympics, but for me, I, I've been to two Olympics in my life. My dad took me to Atlanta yeah. and to Sydney in '96. In oh, 2000. Wow. I was really hoping to go to Tokyo this year. I don't even think I'll be able to do it in 2021. And Tokyo has been kind of a, a place I've always wanted to go to anyway. But the Olympics are just special to me to just sit there during the day and watch a bunch of sports you normally wouldn't watch to appreciate the world, to appreciate this this talent from all over the world, the pride in, in playing for your for your country. And I would just hope maybe with a covid vaccine in hand that this is something that could be that could still be played, because if they can't get off the Olympics in 2020, I mean, in 2021, it's not going to happen in 2022. And that would be a massive blow. It would be a shame. It and, would be and, a very shame. So I hope they can pull it off this year. And I attended the 84 Olympics in Los Angeles. I was living in uh, in Anaheim, California at the time and went to some track and field events some basketball. And then it was great because that was the first year that baseball was an introductory sport. Eric Roberts. Uh, what is your hope for what you might get into the Christmas tree pertaining to the 2021 sports year? So I'm a I'm a hopeless, sapless Bills fan, Buffalo Bills fan. A lot of anguish, a lot of hurt in my heart. Um, so I hopefully I don't have to wait too long for this because you know 2021 playoffs in the NFL not far from this point in time. And I'm hoping under my Christmas tree is a Buffalo Bills playoff victory. I know we've gotten there the last couple of years for the first time in many years, um, but you know I don't think we scored a touchdown that year against the Jaguars. And, you know, Deshaun Watson can't be sacked or tackled in the backfield last year. So I'm hoping I get a, a Bills win this year, guys, in the playoffs. And if I'm being really selfish here, I've always wanted a Bills playoff snow game. I don't know if you guys remember the, the snow game against the Colts. I think the anniversary just Very much so. I think the yes. anniversary just passed about, what, three or four or five years ago, something like that. 18 inches of snow, uh, overtime victory. I think Kelvin Benjamin caught a touchdown pass from uh, Nathan Peterman in that game. Crazy game all the way around, but... If I'm being real selfish, uh, a playoff win at home in the Ralph. I still call it the Ralph, everybody. Yeah, um, Ralph Wilson. I, I just Another it, Detroit guy, by the way, yeah, Ralph I think, Wilson. I think it would just be one of the best sights of uh, visually. It's just so, it's just, it's iconic what it would look like. And um, 
if I'm being real selfish here, and obviously I think this would go for many, many sports fans across the world, I need to be back in a, in a venue, man. I want to see live sports. I'm Being out here in L.A., we're definitely under a lot heavier of a clamp still compared to a lot of places in the world. Um, and I, I'm getting real bitter here seeing even if minute fans in, 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 in stadiums, and whether it be college or professional, I know they're letting in like 12,000 people at Colts games and stuff in Indians. And I'm sitting here and I can't go to a game. So it's, I'm, I'm real bitter. I'm real. Um, I'm overweighting, that's for sure. So sports tickets and a Bills win. Not too much to ask for. Buffalo is a great town, and uh, someday we'll have oh, to get it. together and have some beef on Weck and uh, and some uh, some wings. But yep. I got to tell you, uh, because people bag on the Bills, I'm not one of them. Because I covered a team for ten years that's never even been to a Super Bowl. Buffalo went to four in a row, and I think is the longer that history is separated from that ninety three, ninety four. No, check that. Check that. 91, 92, 93, 94. Those are the years, the actual years. Remember in 91, they had the New York Giants beat, and Scott Norwood, Right. okay, I'm not going to bag on him, missed that field goal. Can, what might have happened? What might have happened had he made that field goal? Then the following year, they run into a juggernaut against the uh, Washington Redskins and then lose to the Cowboys in back-to-back years with a bunch of Hall of Famers. Those were great Buffalo teams, and it's always bothered me, Eric, that those Buffalo Bill teams don't get their due respect. You know, people don't realize how good the Bills were before the merger, too. There was there was some really, you know, camp, and it's just, there were some great, great years. I wasn't even born for the first Super Bowl, and I was barely alive for the second Super Bowl, but I catch plenty of slack for all four of them. So I'm, I just want well, something so people can get past that hump. The Buffalo Bills were seven-point favorites in Super Bowl twenty-five against Bill Parcells' New York Giants. The Giants were getting seven. And, yeah, I bet the Giants that day because I knew they were going to run the ball. But I always thought Buffalo would win with that K-gun offense. And i got to tell you a funny story because one of my favorite things to do when I covered the Detroit Lions and did the pre- and post-game shows for many, many years, almost ten years, is we arrive at Ford Field on, on game day, good two or three hours before the game, and you go up to the fifth floor where the press area is and where the press boxes are, and they have a giant dining room, and they really fed us well. The food was always very, very good. But I'm still a little kid at heart, and I look to my right and look to my left to find out who was in the room and if I wanted to say hello. Well, one particular game was against the Buffalo Bills, and I look about six feet away, and I see Coach Marv Levy. You know, he's no longer with the Bills. He was already retired. I'm going to say this was probably about 2006. And I went up and said hello, and I shook his hand, and I said, Coach, I just want to tell you, uh, I read your book. He wrote a book called Where Else Would You Rather Be? I don't know. If you're, are you familiar with that book, Eric, by any chance? No, I'm not. I strongly re- If you're a Bills fan, you have to love Marv Levy. And that book was tremendous. And it chronicled Marv Levy's career, and he'd written the book, and he didn't know what the title was going to be. And on their very first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 25 in 1991, when they played the New York Giants, he was giving a, a speech to his team, and he just didn't know what else to say. And at precisely that moment, the Blue Angels flew over the stadium, and he just looked at his team and says, where else would you rather be? And that became the title of his book, Where Else Would You Rather Be? And I told him, I read the book, and the the chapter that stuck out to me with Marv Levy about that book was when he talked about when he was 42 years old, he was still a high school football coach. So to be aspirational to get an NFL job might have seemed far-fetched for a guy that was already in his 40s. When I went up to him, I said, Coach, 
that really stuck out that you are still a high school football coach in your 40s. And he looked at me and said, I was a JV high school football coach. We had a good laugh. He was a great guy. So, look, I think that would be great to see the Buffalo Bills. I'm rooting for you, Eric, to see it would just be a good story all the way around. Mackenzie, you have any thoughts on the Buffalo Bills? or? 16 years without a playoff berth, and then two of three. I think the new GM and the new coach. You got to give him credit. John McDermott. Yeah, yeah. He's got. He's got. I think he gave everybody a jar of dirt last year for as like a. This is our place. So he's got him in the right direction. That's for sure. And Good. the GM. Uh, I have it here. Brandon Bean just signed a multi-year extension. So congrats oh, yeah. to him and more success to them. Brian Finley. We know you've been a good boy this year. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell him about the time you you sat on Santa's lap. But what did you tell him? Well, let's see. That was I did that with my mask on, and that was yesterday. <laughs> oh wait, am I supposed to say that on the air? So yeah. Speaking of jars of dirt, guys, that's how I felt when I watched the Clippers earlier this season blow it. I thought this was going to be a title year for them. So if I'm thinking of something for Christmas that I'm talking to Santa and I'm going to the North North Pole and having a conversation with him about, it's let's win a title for L.A. And I'm talking about the real team in Los (laughs) Angeles, not the Lakers. Yeah, they're so high and mighty right now thinking that they dominate the L.A. basketball space. But the Clippers have so much talent. And this is our year coming up. I want to be able to be looking eye to eye with Lakers fans and just say, take that and just release all of this pent up emotion. I have been a long suffering Clippers fans ever since they made the wonderful decision of drafting Michael Oluwakandi number Mm. one overall, one of the greatest picks in NBA history. unless it wasn't. And all through those years, I've watched this team get to places and then barf every single time. We saw it in the playoffs against the Nuggets last postseason. You have a 3-1 lead, you lose it. You see Paul George shoot a three from the side off the backboard. It was just, I just want to see all the players coalesce Paul George maybe not be as somebody who you could argue caused some of the riff, caused some of the derision that led to the Clippers losing in the postseason last year. How about Kawhi Leonard, Paul George raising that title for Los Angeles and the unspoken Clippers fans? Christmas comes in a Clipper championship. Brian, I'm with you. And I, what bothered me this year uh, was the fact that the Lakers didn't have to play the Clippers. And I take nothing away from LeBron on the championship, but I really wanted to see those two teams lock horns. So we've got Brian Finley, the Clippers in a championship. Eric Roberts, get Buffalo to the promised land. And Chris Perfett, let's get the Tokyo Olympics back. And he likes Robert Saleh. And coming back, Mackenzie and I are going to give you our Christmas wishes for 2021 in the world of sports, as well as handicap some of these NFL (laughs) job openings and meaning which job would you want if you could pick which team you could you could coach. And we think there's going to be about seven openings. So we're going to tackle that. See what I did there? Tackle that football? Yeah. 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 Kick it. We're sharp, baby. We're sharp at one in the morning. <laughs> and so when we come back, we're going to talk about all those sorts of things. And yes, Santa Claus, 11 days away. Is that is that right? Today's wait. Today's the 14th or today's the 13th? Today's the 13th. So then we get, we get a partridge and a pear tree, I believe, today. 
all that stuff. Boy, you're just too good to keep up with. All right, thanks to Brian Finley, Eric Roberts, Chris Perfett. They'll be checking in later. He's McKenzie. I'm Bernie. We're sitting in for the Jason Martin Show. Keep it right here, locked on Fox Sports Radio. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Harold G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back on Fox Sports Radio. We're sitting in for Jason Martin. I'm Bernie Fratto, joined alongside my partner on Saturday nights with Straight Out of Vegas. That would be Mackenzie Rivers, Mackinac Sports. You know him, you love me, can't live without him. Great input by the crew in terms of what they want under the Christmas tree, heading into the sports world for 2021. Mine's real quick, Mackenzie. I just want to see packed stadiums again. I want to see fans back at sporting events. If they have to wear masks, fine. But I don't want to see empty stadiums. And by the way, to their credit, the NFL's done a phenomenal job with the ambient sound and the background noise. And you almost forget sometimes that you're watching a game with no fans or very few fans. And we've started to regress and go back the other way. There are like the Washington football team, they've announced, even though they had fans earlier, they're not going to allow them. I just want to see fans back in stadiums, packed stadiums. When I saw the news that Washington wasn't going to have any fans at FedEx Field, I'm like, what year is this? This is the same it's been every single year for the last 10, 15 years. Come on. <laughs> about Washington football team. No, I agree with you. There's something about the electricity of a packed stadium, especially for a big playoff game. Imagine if my Super Bowl pick, the Saints, make the Super Bowl and nobody's there. Oh, no. Just, they're going to be fans at the Super Bowl. I hope Bowl. so. No, well, but, just but, like the World Series, okay? Yeah. It'll be sparse. It'll be something. And but, yeah. And I think that made a big difference to have what was 10,000. And the game's played in Tampa and Florida, so were there, you know, they're a little bit. But I mean, even to make the Super Bowl, the NFC Championship game, that'll be one of the biggest well, wins, you know, in Saints history. It might be. A, par- a sparse stadium. You know what? That's something we're going to have to talk about as we get into January as well, because we all know that winning on the road in the NFL is difficult. Baseball, road, you know, the uh, the home favorites in baseball, not nearly as daunting as going into a, a road situation uh, in the NFL. Speaking of that, we have created a list here. Now, look, we're not we don't want to pour dirt on somebody's grave before it's happened, but we think the following teams will have openings in 2021 the jets the bears the chargers the falcons we already know the lions are we already know the falcons do uh the jaguars and we already know the houston texans so each team sort of has their pros and cons as to where you'd want to coach and i'm just going to start first mckenzie with if i had my druthers and i could take any one of these jobs it has to be for me the new york jets i'm sorry start spreading the news broadway joe i'm gonna tell you why they're going to have the number one pick. You're going to draft Trevor Lawrence. 
And, oh, by the way, they've got three of the first 31 picks, a ton of cap space, and nowhere to go but up. And, obviously, the Bill Belichick era is coming to an end. Mm, it point. just simply is. The green, the, the, you know, the 20-year run for New England is waning. Buffalo... They've got their turn in the you know right now in, in, in you know in, in the spotlight, and you can't count out Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins. They're on the upswing, but the point is, is that to me that division is now going to be far more wide open. They've already called it the weakest division in 20 years. New England would win it every year. To their credit, they never fumbled it. I think it opens the door for someone to go into New York and with all these draft picks, Trevor Lawrence and cap space, do something special. I think you have to consider, am I getting a short-term deal or am I getting a long-term deal? If I'm getting a long-term deal, I can consider— Assume you're getting a five-year deal. They're, they're going to have to give you that. Okay, because if, if I— this is, this is why I say that, because if I need to win the first couple of years, if I don't have that kind of you know rope, I, Texans by far the best job, because Justin Herbert's had a very impressive 10 games. Trevor Lawrence, very impressive prospect, but I know Deshaun Watson's the real deal. So that, to, You know you don't have any first-round draft picks next year. I have Deshaun Watson. He's worth, you know, Robert Griffin got, what, three first-round draft picks? He's worth, you know, four or five. You're not going to trade him. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just going to build with him because when sure. you have Aaron Rodgers, you can have Mike McCarthy as a coach and win 56 well, That's an excellent point. Yeah, yeah, it's an excellent point. That said, I, I think, you know, if I have, like, that Kyle Shanahan five-year deal that, you know, is pretty secure, I would take probably the, the Chargers because you get— you get Justin Herbert, who you, who can develop, and you get to live in L.A. You get a, a a team with very, very low expectations. Did you know this, Bernie? The Chargers, since 2000, so way before Anthony Lynn, they've lost almost 65% of close games. For some reason, they've been the most snake-bit franchise. Every time it's within seven points, the Chargers end up on the losing side of the chalkboard. So, yeah, that's why there's no fans of Chargers, really. You know, if you're an L.A. fan, you're probably a Rams fan, if not a Raiders fan. So you have such—and you got deep pockets, too, for the Chargers uh, franchise. So I think with the quarterback, with low expectations, with that brand-new stadium, I would definitely take my swing with the L.A. Chargers of any of these seven jobs. All right, we're going to go back and revisit a lot of these because we haven't gotten to the Falcons, Lions, Jags. You talked about Houston, Chargers. I talked about the Jets. And Jim Harbaugh, if you're listening, and I know you are— I strongly recommend if it comes if it if it comes to you, go to New York. Take that Jets job. I know for a fact that you want to win a Super Bowl. It's why I thought you wouldn't go to the University of Michigan back in 2014. Harbaugh got to a Super Bowl in 2012. I believe that was Super Bowl 46. He lost to the Baltimore Ravens, coached by his brother John Harbaugh. I know that eats at him. I know he wants a Super Bowl. His brother has a Super Bowl. He doesn't have a Super Bowl. It was like a triple whammy mm. to get there and lose to his brother. This is his last chance. And I'll tell you, you talk about a legacy, they'll forget what happened at Michigan if he goes to New York and wins. Now, Absolutely. having said that, if you think I can predict for a minute what Harbaugh is, where Harbaugh is going to end up next year, I'm going to know a lot more in the next couple of weeks. But I don't think even he knows. Because you know where he's not going? Detroit. He's not. No, he's not going to go to the line. Look, it, and I'm going to tell you why. It, it, it ended badly in San Francisco. He wore out his welcome. It's ending badly at Michigan. He wears people out. He wore out his staff. He's worn out that region. Mm. He can't stay there and coach in Detroit. And I don't think that's a fit for him for multiple reasons. But New York, yes. But I'm going to leave you with this thought because, and I'm going to revisit this in the next couple of weeks because I have bulls that I talk to every day. I would just say this that. 
it's completely unpredictable for Harbaugh now because he's not processing all the data. The offers haven't come in, whether they're NFL or whether how much they are. They haven't finalized whatever this potential extension could be, even though I can tell you it's not the Harbaugh's liking. And I am so unsure where he's going to end up next year. I was actually walking along the beach yesterday. We don't have beaches here in Las Vegas, so work <laughs> like with Las me. Vegas? And you're not going to believe what I saw. I saw a genie bottle hmm. on the ground, and I rubbed it, and out came a genie, except it wasn't genie, it was God. And he oh. says, you get one wish. You don't get three. And I said, <laughs> I do? He goes, yeah, what do you want? I said, well, you know what would really be cool? I'd like to drive to Hawaii from California, so can you build me a highway? And he says, God says, I, I don't know, man. That sounds tough. I don't think I could. Well, I don't, is, there any, is there anything else you'd want? I go, yeah. Could you please tell me where Jim Harbaugh is going to end up next year? And God said, you want that highway in two lanes or four? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to handicap these other teams. And, and McKenzie's kind of ticked off at this one college team as if they're getting preferential treatment. We're going to get to that and maybe check back in with the crew. So uh, I'm Bernie Frado. We're sitting in for Jason Martin tonight. And as we continue, we can't continue until until we go to the dulcet tones and the golden pipes of Brian V. The silver tongue devil Finley. Bernie and Mackenzie, thank you so much, guys. By the way, I told you I sat on Santa's lap yesterday. Highly recommend it. You might want to get in your last-minute gift requests. They do social distance. Meanwhile, number six, Florida, <laughs> self-destructs in crunch time, faltering to LSU, 37-34. Tiger kicker Cade York belting in a 57-yard field goal through hazy fog with less than a minute left to seal the victory. Also, the Gators had an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty late to help prolong that game-ending drive. Afterwards, York was seen frolicking around the field doing the Gator chop. And after the game in the post-game press conference, Gators head coach Dan Mullen was asked how this second loss would impact his team's chances of making the college football playoff. Mullen going full braggadocious style replied quote I guess the best thing to do would have been to play less games because you seem to get rewarded for not playing this year in college football close quote Keaton Slovis five touchdown passes the signature one to Amon Ross St. Brown with under one minute to go to put number 15 USC in front of UCLA for good 43-38 the final score the Trojans now focus on Washington for the Pac-12 championship game which is set for Friday at the Coliseum, although the Huskies are currently dealing with COVID-19 issues. They were supposed to play this weekend. That game was called off. And if the Huskies cannot play this upcoming week, then it would be Oregon subbing in for them in that conference title game. 18th ranked BYU victimizes San Diego State 28-14. Cougars QB Zach Wilson three touchdown passes. 17th ranked North Carolina splatters number 10 Miami 62-26. Heel running backs Michael Carter and Javante Williams combining for 544 yards on the ground. That's an NCAA record for a team's duo in a single game. ESPN reports Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott will play later today against the Bengals. He encountered a calf issue in his last game. And finally NFL Network notes Raiden's ball carrier Josh Jacobs will be fully recovered from an ankle problem and see the field today against the Colts. Let's get back to the two-headed monster, 
the Vegas studs. It's Bernie Fratto and Mackenzie Rivers. Brian, the silver tongue devil Finley. Good job, buddy. Uh, by the way, I uh, want to give this gentleman credit. He just tweeted in. His name is, I, I don't want to mispronounce it, Mark LaRuez. He said, don't forget Belichick was the Giants D coordinator in 91. He's had the Bills number forever. He's right. And Belichick, by the way, uh, Bill Belichick was also the Giants D coordinator in 87 when they destroyed Denver. And I remember I used to argue with my friend David Buscheri when I was doing a show in Ann Arbor back in the day called The View from the Cheap Seats. He didn't think Parcell was such a great coach. He says, well, he never won a Super Bowl without Bill Belichick by his side. So good good call, Mark. That's uh, you're, you're exactly right about that. You know what I say to that? John Elway never won a playoff game, and he played a few without Mike Shanahan calling plays for him. So great. Well, they got a running game, great too. Great inspires, mean, yeah. great. You can't take one away from the other. The beauty of sports opinions are is they are just that, but you try to justify them with relevant specifics and accurate knowledge. Right. The truth of the matter is – Bill Parcells never did win a Super Bowl without Bill Belichick by his side. But we digress. All right, look, I kind of like the Jets as a job. Let's go down the list quickly because I I don't wish it on anybody, but it doesn't look like Matt Nagy's going to be back based on what I'm hearing. The Bears' job to me isn't as attractive. Would love to live in Chicago. Nothing wrong with that. You have a situation there where it's so tough to win in that stadium because – you don't do it with a quarterback. You do it with a running game and a defense, and that takes time to build. And when Vic Fangio was there, it looked like the Bears were on their way. Then they got Khalil Mack. And it just seems like they're going back in the wrong direction. The Mitch Trubisky thing is going to be the death knell for Pace and Nagy. And you're either going to inherit him or Nick Foles. You're really starting from scratch. The Bears' job, to me, would not be as attractive. And the great Jonas Knox was talking about this. Yep. Ten years ago, I mean, with in hindsight, ten years later – Lovey Smith is looking a lot better. Fired after going ten and six, much like the uh, the Lions coach that uh, what was his name again uh, that got fired after a winning season. Oh, Jim recently. Caldwell. Yeah, exactly. When you when you're a winning team, it's hard to say that you that your head coach doesn't deserve the job. And the Bears, they they have grand expectations that they've never grand. Been able that media is going to be all over you like a yep. cheap suit. Yep. If, look, and by the way, just to clarify the Jim Caldwell thing because. Caldwell is an elegant man. He's a good man. He was very popular among the players. He actually got to the Lions to the playoffs two out of three years. The narrative was that he and was Marvin never going to— Marvin Lewis, gonna... too. Wait a minute. Well, but, Am I but, but, expecting but, but, a trend here? Well, Marvin Lewis, a winning coach in Cincinnati, and couldn't keep the job in another he, Midwestern city. Well, here's the trend. The, the narrative was, and this is their words, not mine, mm-hmm. that they had reached their ceiling. Uh, for, right. And Jim Caldwell, he was not going to get him to the Super Bowl. Yeah. So that's when they— Sheila Fordham hired, this is the Lions owner, hired Ernie Accorsi as a consultant. He recommended Bob Quinn, who presided over several successful seasons in New England, and he got his chance to hire and Matt Patricia. Is, Abject failure, I get it. But but see, they believe that Caldwell was never going to get him to the Super Bowl. And I agree with all three. That I don't think Lovey Smith, Caldwell, or um, Marvin, Marvin Lewis, Lewis would right. necessarily win a Super Bowl without a great quarterback suddenly showing up on their doorstep. Without that, it's hard to expect much more than the success that those three men were able to accomplish. Oh. I mean, maybe Matthew Stafford of those franchises is good enough with the right innovative mind. Not me. I don't think so. so. You don't think so? No. Stat Pafford. He's 8-55. Right. Rob and I joke about, look, 
Nothing against Matt Stafford. He's going to get Hall of Fame votes. He's Detroiter through and through. Went to the same high school as Bobby Lane. I remember he jumped on Tom Lewan's back. I was covering the Lions in. Says, I want to come to Detroit. Stafford actually went to Highland Park High School in Dallas. Same high school that produced Bobby Lane, who won the, who was the quarterback for the Lions the last time they won a championship. That was the 1957. Lions have won one playoff game since uh, 1957. That was January 6, 1992, when they beat the Dallas Cowboys 38-6 to behind Dave Craig, John Madden on the call that day said, we're looking at the two teams of the 90s. Mm. He was half right. He had one of the teams right. Uh, let's t- by the way, my, my beef with, with, with Stafford is simple. Out of all these years, go back to 2009 when he was the number one pick, you couldn't elevate the franchise one year. Mm. Okay, and 8-55 and against teams that finish above 500. Let's, let's not even go down that rat hole tonight. The Chicago Bears, my hometown team, also have a few championships from like 50, 60, 70 years ago before quarterbacking mattered. Uh, it's tougher, tougher these days. It's a tougher game. The Chargers, you seem to like that job. I'm not so sure um, that's going to be a challenge, although you do inherit a very good quarterback. Yeah, Justin Herbert, you could argue, is the uh, best under-24 quarterback. I would personally take Kyler Murray, but I wouldn't quibble with you if you chose one or the other. And he's just he still has freckles on his face. He's going to be a, a chiseled man in 10 years. Hopefully, if... Uh, you're doing your job right. You'll be able to guide him toward his Steve Young-like hopeful career. Coming up, we're going to get to the Falcons, Lions, Jaguars, and we'll revisit Houston one more time. If you had your chance, which of those jobs would you grab onto? McKenzie, he's got a little burr on his took us about one particular college team that might have gotten preferential treatment. Stick with us. I'm Bernie Fratto. He's McKenzie Rivers. We're sitting in. For Jason Martin tonight, don't go away. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Juan Gabriel. Juan Gis. Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Harold G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royals. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're back on Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Fratto sitting in for Jason Martin tonight alongside Mackenzie Rivers. And as is the tradition, every Saturday night when I host straight out of Vegas, 11 p.m. Pacific to midnight, uh, 2 a.m. Eastern to 3 at the end of the show, Mackenzie Rivers gives his best bet. And before we run out of time, I think it would be appropriate if you gave your best bet, Mackenzie. Oh, and by the way, you've been hot. Last week, you very you loved the Cleveland Browns, and it was part of a larger narrative that Cleveland must be taken for real, and they went out and kicked some booty. Plus 210 on the money line, not a bad cash. All right, this is my best bet, as in it is the most available, and I think it's a definite winner. We got the Chiefs. Saints tease them. Saints got to win by two. Chiefs got to win by one. 
I think they're just classes apart from their competition. But my best bet in terms of what I think is the most profitable wager, get a hunt around for this one, Eagles under one and a half touchdowns plus 125. Interesting. Jalen, yeah, well. Jalen Hurts, he, he had one good throw against the Packers. And then they figured him out. Mike Lombardi talked about it. Within a drive, he looked much less competent. Dennis Allen and the Saints defense is a whole nother animal than compared to the Packers defense. I don't think Jalen Hurts will be able to breathe by the middle of the second quarter. It's going to be rough scene. That's a good point, uh, McKenzie. We talked about that on Straight Out of Vegas. Uh, New Orleans defense has been lights out the last few weeks, haven't allowed more than 16 points in the last five games. And you look, Jalen Hurts, he's going to be making his first start tomorrow. That's not going to be easy against this defense. And even last week, when the game was spoken for, he came in, he competed, but he only competed, he only completed 41% of his passes and threw a pick. It's going to be a long day for the Eagles tomorrow. And I like your teaser. If you're going to play a teaser, folks, the key numbers in football are three, four, six, and seven. So you take a couple of big favorites, like you think you said Saints, the Chiefs. Eight point favorite, Chiefs, seven and so a half point favorite. You can tease them down with a six, six and a half, or seven point favorite and get them down below that key number of three. So they basically just have to win. Yes, teasers are always a little dicey because you need two results True. to cash, but you're doing it the right way. What makes my teeth itch is when I hear someone say, oh, look, the Jets are getting 14. The tees that up to 20. There ain't no way. <laughs> no, that's not how you do it. You're not allowing the math of NFL football to work for you if Thelenberg. you do it that way. Good stuff. By the way, uh, maybe I oversold it. I thought McKenzie was ticked at Ohio State. He's not that ticked at Ohio State, but I want to <laughs> I want to set the record straight as to why Ohio State they quote changed the rules. And I know some people were losing their minds. And look, it's not the end of the world here. Rules, for the most part, are guidelines, not inflexible anchors. All right. So this is one of those guidelines. Now, why would you vote Ohio State in? And Indiana, of course, is is the victim here. They've had a hell of a season under Tom Allen. Well, Ohio State beat Indiana head-to-head. That's number one. And had they not changed the rule, Indiana would have played Northwestern. Well, Northwestern lost to Michigan State, who Ohio State destroyed. So if you look at the transitive property, Ohio State's the best entrant. And by the way, they have a legitimate chance to win the national championship. Get to that Final Four and get to the championship game, which will bring a ton of money to the Big Ten Conference, which will also help save some secondary sports, I believe. So there are lots of cases you can make. For Ohio State, and again, maybe it wasn't as fair to Indiana, but it's also not as fair to Ohio State when two or three of their games are canceled and COVID situations, which were maybe, you know, not within their control. So there you have it. And this is a made-for-TV drama, which we talked about at the top of the show. It's not really a real playoff. Otherwise, if you got five power conferences and only four teams get in, fundamentally that tells you right there something's goofy with this. All right, back to the NFL as we wind down the show. Look. We've talked about the Jets, the Bears, the Chargers, the Falcons. Now, I think Raheem Morris Mm -hmm. is making a very good case for keeping the job. I'm not so sure I'd want the job there. I think Arthur Blank's a great guy to work for. Matt Ryan's winding down. They're going to be doing a lot of rebuilding there. With the Falcons, again, we're having a little fun here. You could wave a magic wand. You could pick one of these NFL jobs. I already said the Jets is the one I would take. Mackenzie, would the Falcons have any, uh, you know, what would be a reason to take that job and a reason not to? 
Well, I actually think of all these jobs that we have listed here, this is the least open. I think Raheem Morris has done enough. I think, what, 4-2 and two as a head coach, turned around an 0-4 team. I think he's going to retain the job. And metrically, defensively, they're much better. Yeah, statistically, they've been really good under Morris. You know, offense and defense, better on defense, where he, which is his specialty. Uh, it's a tough job to take because Matt Ryan's, I think, a top-10 quarterback, but he's also an older quarterback. Julio Jones, he's liable to 13th miss. 13th year in the league already. Came yeah, out of Boston and, College and quarter, in 08. And we've talked about this early in the year. Older quarterbacks are staying in the league longer. Look at Tom Brady breaking records at 43. But you never know. You, you, must, you would just prefer to have a Justin Herbert, if you could, for longevity's sake. Same with Julio Jones. He's not a spring chicken anymore. But, you know, they. I think I think their author, owner, Arthur Blank, is legitimate. Yeah. I think he gives you a little bit of rope, and yep. I think that's a, a franchise that will win a Super Bowl in our lifetimes. All right, my, my hometown, the Lions, actually, that would be – I'd vote second for them because having worked in that market, lived in that market, and having extensive experience with the Lions, the Fords are great people to work for. They overpay you. They give you job security. They stay out of your way. Until recently, you didn't even have to produce results. <laughs> and I got to tell you, uh-huh. I okay, I'm a little biased. I still think Detroit's the greatest sports town in, in the country because you've got four organic sports teams and no one's ever left or expansion. And you got two great Big Ten teams right around the corner. The fans love their sports there. They are incredibly dedicated to their teams, and they'll support a winner. They even support a loser. It's sold out at Ford Field every week. So Detroit is going to be a great job for the right person that can come some. I've said a thousand times. I covered the Pistons when they won the championship in 04. Covered the Red Wings when they won the Stanley Cup. Covered the Tigers when they got to the World Series in 06. I am telling you, if the Lions just got to the Super Bowl, they'd have to shut that city down (laughs) for a week. My dad's from Detroit. I do think it's a great sports town, underrated sports town. I remember when I was in college and I was talking about spending some time in Detroit, and they said, they don't really like the Red Wings down there. I mean, they're not like big Red Wings fans. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. No idea. I mean, just, just, I mean, I don't know, just maybe because my dad's black and black people don't play as much hockey. Although, you know, there's a few VGK, VGKers that are uh, changing that uh, false stereotype. But I think he understands the dynamic and the heart and soul of Detroit. If you spend and, time and it's, there, it's not it's a transient obvious. population. Absolutely. People that are from there are from there. It's not, a, you know, it's one of those situations. Look, right. the truth you get is, some uh, vinegar on your French fries, go up to Windsor. It's a fun time. fish and chips. Yeah. 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 Have you been to Detroit? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, really? man. My, I, my dad's from Detroit. It's, it's right, right. I know, town. but but I, I thought you grew up in Chicago, and then I, grew I know up you in went Chicago, to Chicago. Went to Detroit, you know, four or five times to visit family up there. But yep, yep, yep. It's a it's a great sports town. People think they're not baseball fans, not hockey fans, just because they're black. They're huge fans of their local teams. They support them. Or you only get about forty five seconds. Houston, I think, will be a good job because Deshaun Watson. If you can hit, if you can hit your wagon. To a guy like Deshaun Watson, and they were just look where they were two years ago. My goodness, they're in a playoff game with a big lead, and then it just all came tumbling down. I think Bill O'Brien left the place in shambles. They do need a GM. That might not be a bad job. I think it's either them or the Chargers because you got to respect the quarterback. Dabo Sweeney said it, the Michael Jordan of quarterbacks. He's just a natural talent. He can do everything on a football field, and he's getting better. He's, he's a true magician. He's an incredible competitor, and it'll be fun tomorrow to watch what happens in Chicago because RJ likes Houston and Fez likes the Bears. It'll sort of be a referendum. Bonus on. best bet, 
Texans. I'm with them. I'm with RJ on this one. All right. Fair enough. It's going to be fun to watch. All right. He's Mackenzie Rivers. I'm Bernie Fratto. This is Fox Sports Radio. We've been sitting in for Jason Martin in the Jason Martin Show. Enjoy your Sunday and keep it locked right here on Fox Sports Radio. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.